thankful for that prayer. Well, that was wonderful, and we do need to be praying for the lost, our community, and for revival coming up. And I don't believe the two are completely separate, although revival is truly for the church. But if we get revived in our heart and get where we're supposed to be, it'll make an impact in our community, amen? And uh, if we'll do what we're supposed to do, I can assure you with great assurance that God's going to do what he wants to do. And so if we'll just do our part, it'll make a big difference. Well, if you have your Bibles tonight, turn with us to the book of Ephesians chapter number one. Ephesians chapter number one. And we'll begin reading down in verse number three. Ephesians chapter one and verse number three. I want to preach this evening on uh, spiritual blessings for the believer. And Ephesians chapter 1, we'll look at from verse number 3 down through verse number 14. And uh, let's read that this evening. If you would, read at least a few verses with me, uh, the first three or four verses, and we will take our text from here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3, the Bible says, Blessed be the God... And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the goodwill of his pleasure, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we examine here Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, God, I pray that, Lord, as we uh, begin to look at the blessings that you have given to your children, the church, God, I pray that, Lord, you may help us, Lord, to... Uh, cherish these things, Lord, that we may never take uh, your goodness for granted. Lord, may we also strive to, uh, Lord, to uh, develop the gifts that are within us, and Lord, that we might take your blessings and use them, Lord, not for our own goodwill, but that your kingdom might be furthered, Lord, that uh, the gospel might be spread abroad. And Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We're looking here at the spiritual blessings. In verse number three, it says that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And so we see here the first blessing that is mentioned comes in verse number four. It says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. The first blessing that comes from the Lord here in Ephesians is that of holiness. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, the Bible says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The truth is, is that although it may not be talked about very much, for the Christian, we are commanded here in 1 Peter that God says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 
Now, I know that being holy and holiness is not a, a, a subject that's going to win you too many brownie points with the average churchgoer. But the truth of the matter is, as a believer, as a child of God, we are commanded to be holy, that we would live our lives in such a way that we would bring honor to our Heavenly Father, that our lives would be holy, that we would be an example uh, of believers uh, that, of what Jesus Christ has done and who He is. Literally, that word to be holy and to live holy is to live a life that is mimicking that of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the world might see Jesus Christ through our own life. And and the reality of it is, this is not a curse. And the average person looks at, the average believer, I dare say, looks at holiness as if it's a burden. As if it's a burden that we must endure as believers that we should strive to be holy. And yet, to the writing to a, uh, the church at Ephesus... Paul says that it is a spiritual blessing of God that we can be holy like he is and that we might be an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the greatest duties that we are commanded with as believers, uh, one of our greatest tasks is that we might be an example to the world of the Lord Jesus Christ. That this world may look upon your life your testimony, not just from afar, but even those who are closer and more intimate, that as they see you and I go through trials in life, as we go through disappointments, as we go through hardships, how we respond and how our faith holds true, and we display the love and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ in our life. This is not a burden, but this is one of the greatest honors that you and I could ever have. It is not a burden for me to look like and to be like my Savior. It is an honor that I would get to emulate the Lord Jesus Christ, that others might look at my life and say, listen, like the apostle, they did to the apostles when they called them Christians. They said they, that these apostles, they are so much like Jesus Christ that we're going to call them Christians or Christ-like. We see, we can tell from their life that they have been with Jesus of Nazarene. And so for you and I, that we, you and I can be holy, that is a blessing that God has given us. What greater blessing could we have? I mean, let's look at our children, our youth. My daughters tonight, my wife, we talked about it, a little embarrassed. Uh, this morning, we've had to replace our floors and our, the, our girls' beds right now are in the middle of our dining room staring at our neighbor's house. Their clothes are in the hallway, and it's a, it's a mess right now. And this morning, my wife went to find our girls' church dresses and couldn't find them. And so if you look at Maggie and Molly uh, this morning and this evening and look at what they're wearing, they are wearing their princess dresses. I believe Molly's wearing Cinderella and Maggie's wearing one of the princesses, and that's what they're wearing. You say, why do they wear that? Because kids, they want to emulate and look like what they look up to. They want to look like those things that they imagine to be wonderful. And so they try to emulate the things that excite them, do they not? Whether it be a superhero for a boy or whatever it may be. And so yet for you and I, how can we call it a burden as a Christian to live a life of holiness? Shouldn't it be the exact opposite? 
We should strive for holiness. We should long to emulate our lives where we look like Jesus Christ, where others look upon us and say, they've been with the Lord. They're just like Christ. The spiritual blessing is holiness. One of the greatest honors that could ever be said of you or I is they must be a Christian. Have you ever had somebody call you a Christian without even knowing you? We've had it happen often. My wife can testify. We were, uh, it's been a couple of years ago. I remember one incident. We walked into a, uh, a food line, a grocery store, and we were, we were talking, just having a normal conversation, my wife and I, and we walked up to the deli. We were going to get some uh, sandwich meat sliced up. And before we could open our mouth, that lady said, looked at us and said, y'all are Christians, aren't you? And we said, how could you know? She said, I don't know, but when you walked up, something was different. As a Christian, that's one of the greatest compliments I've ever been given. That somebody would look at my life and say, they remind me of Jesus Christ. Our blessing is holiness. But look at that verse number four. The Bible says, according as he hath chosen us and him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy, watch this, and without blame before him in love. Not only that, we are holy, but second of all is that we can be blameless. You say pastor, uh, uh, blamelessness in our own life, that we can be presented as blameless. This is the honor, one of the blessings of Christ. How could I be presented to Christ as blameless? Not me. I assure you, I'm not perfect. My wife can assure you even more than I can. And yet the Bible says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. See, the truth is I stand before God blameless. Not because I'm innocent but because my sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm blameless not because of who I am, but I'm blameless because of who he is and what he did. And what a blessing. What one of the greatest, another one of the greatest joys is not only that we can be holy and emulate him, but we can come before him boldly. We can boldly enter into the throne room of God, blameless because of the blood of Jesus Christ. What a joy that is. And if you're as guilty as I am, you ought to be excited by that this evening. That when a holy, righteous God who could not even look upon Jesus Christ as he hung there upon the cross and took the shame of my sin upon him and God himself had to turn his back upon the cross and the world went dark because of the sin that was upon the cross and upon Jesus Christ and yet I can enter into God blameless because of what Jesus did. That's a blessing. Therefore, I don't have to hang my head in shame, although I'm guilty. Yet in spite of that, I can go and approach the throne of God in prayer, 
because of what Jesus Christ did for me. Thirdly, verse number five, it says, having predestinated us unto adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. I'm not going to get into a debate on uh, predestination this evening, but uh, it is, I believe, from Scripture, it is obvious and plain that Christ has predestined us to be uh, his children, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And yet I believe the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all uh, should come to him and repent and turn to Christ. And so um, I believe that Christ has, uh, has died for the sins of the entire world, and uh, he desires that all be adopted into the family of God. But he says, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. The third spiritual blessing we have is that of adoption. That we're a child of God. As the old song goes, you may notice we say, brother and sister around here, it's because we're a family, and these folks are so dear. You know the song? Brothers and sisters. Why? Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We've been adopted together in the family of God. And you might say, preacher, I don't have a family anymore. I, I'm all along. I have no family. Well, if you're a child of God, you have a family because we've been adopted into the family of God. And, and, and we are joint heirs together with Christ, the Bible says. And we have the joy of adoption of children by Jesus Christ. Talk about having a, a blessing. I'm a child of a king. My father owns everything, and I, I belong to him, and, and he belongs to me. I, I'm adopted in the family of God. Talk about a blessing. What greater blessing could we have than that, than to belong to the king of kings, the, the Lord of lords, the creator and ruler of all things? The blessing of adoption. Verse number six says, to praise the glory of us, of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the, in the beloved. Watch this verse number seven. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. My wife's here, and her grandfather, her dad's dad, uh, was a pastor of the church where uh, we grew up, and he pastored there for right at 54 years. Longtime pastor there at uh, Dogwood Valley Baptist Church in Tunnel Hill, Georgia. They had a Christian school, and every morning he would start the school day off, and when he walked in, he would quote a, pa a, a, a scripture reference, and he would expect all the students to begin quoting scripture. And uh, one of the greatest groups of young people I've ever known that could quote and rattle scripture off. If you went to that Christian school, you knew many, many, many Bible verses by heart. He would quote the reference off and you'd hear 50 to 75 kids in unison begin quoting scripture. But this is one of the verses he would say, Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. 
place, we have a blessing that we have been redeemed, that we've been restored to him, that that fellowship we talk about this morning that was separated in the fall of man, we have been redeemed back to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary. What a blessing that we've been redeemed. Hebrews 9 Verses 13 through 15 says, Forth the blood of bulls and of goats and of the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And For this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. We have been redeemed back to Jesus Christ. This is where, as believers, we find our purpose and our value in life. Right here. It's in Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, nobody loves me. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody cares what I say or think. I've been disowned. I've been outcast. My my children, my grandchildren, my spouse, my parents, whoever it may be, you say they have left me. They have deserted me. my, My life is worthless anymore. And there are many people that right now at this very moment are thinking those very thoughts. Say, Pastor, how do you answer that? Right here is how I answer it. If a holy, righteous God that spoke the vastness of this universe and this world that we live in into place, if a holy, righteous God could look at his son who is spotless without blemish and who was perfect, who knew no sin, and offer him up to be sacrificed on the cross of Calvary because he looked at you and said, I love you and I see value and purpose in you and I'm going to sacrifice my very son that I might purchase and redeem you back to myself. If that kind of God has that kind of love for you, you've got something that's worth something. The problem is we look at society. We look at the world We look what everybody else has that we don't. And we try to base our value and our worth on comparison to everything and everyone else. But when we stop and we begin to gaze towards heaven and say, God, I don't care what the rest of this world says. If you love me, that much, then I have purpose. I have value. And that's found in Jesus Christ. Redemption. 
It says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. The fifth blessing that we have is forgiveness. Not only did God forgive me for every sin that I had committed before I saved, got saved, his blood was shed for every sin that I've committed since then and every sin I'll ever commit. Why? Because his blood knows no boundaries. Forgiveness. I know that I can have forgiveness in Christ. What a blessing. People aren't always quick to forgive, are they? We try, but the truth is, we forgive to an extent, yet even in our forgiveness, it always stays hidden in the back of our mind, does it not? Someone can ask you for forgiveness, you can forgive them, but if they do the same thing to you again, especially in a short amount of time, you're taking the old animosity and you're piling on to the new, aren't you? That's just the way we work. But Christ, that's not the way he is. When he forgives us, he forgets. He casts it as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. That's the way our sin is. He forgives us. Brings us back into his arms. And loves us once again. I wish I could forgive that way. It sure would make a life a lot easier if I could forgive like that. I wish others could forgive me that way too. I'm sure you probably wish there was somebody that would forgive you like that. But God always does. The blessing we have is the forgiveness of sins. Watch this, the Bible says, according to the riches of his grace. How rich do you think his grace is? The Bible says he's rich in mercy. His grace, it's never ending. Not only that, but verse number nine. Three more points and I'll be done this evening. I want to mention these, though. Verse number 9 says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. The sixth spiritual blessing that we have here in this first section of Ephesians is that we have the blessing of his will. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. We have the uh, blessings that God directs our life, that he reveals his will to us. And right here is the foundation, the start of his will. You say, Pastor, what's the will for my life, God's will for my life? Right here is where you start. This is God's will. God could have left us without his word. The fact of the matter is that in the Old Testament, they were largely without the word of God written in written form. 
They had the law, the Ten Commandments. But in the New Testament, talking about the doctrine of law and grace, the Bible says, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is uh, in part should be done away with. We have the perfect, whole, and complete word of God that he asked for you and I. His will. God desires, God is willing, and God is able to direct our path and to reveal his will for our life. And we have that blessing from him. And then verse number 11 and whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. The seventh thing we have, the blessing, is an inheritance. I mentioned earlier that we were adopted with Christ. And as the Bible says, as adopted, we are also joint heirs. Romans 8, 17 says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that we may also uh, be glorified together. We are joint heirs of Christ. I have an inheritance with Jesus Christ. I'll be honest with you, I cannot fully wrap my brain around that. Join heirs with Jesus. You know, we talk about heaven, and, and the truth of the matter is, we read in the New Testament about the, the, the new Jerusalem, the new city that's a thousand miles wide and uh, four square, and we read the dimension of the streets of gold and the mansions and the gates of pearls, and we talk about the beauty of uh, heaven and the Bible, and we try to imagine just what eternity is going to be like, and yet the Bible says that it hasn't even entered into the heart of man. We can't even imagine how wonderful heaven's going to be. And yet I dare say the most wonderful thing about it is this right here, that we're joint heirs with Christ. That God would look down upon us as adopted sons and daughters and say, I want you to be a joint heir with Jesus. I don't understand that. I'd like to preach some fancy point on that and explain to you how wonderful that is. I just can't grasp how, how can God do that. I, I can't imagine. I've heard the analogy that I'll share with you, and it says that if we were sleeping in bed one night, and while we lay asleep, a stranger breaks into our home and uh, were to hurt one of our children and take their life. And we're hearing a racket, we run in the middle of the night, and we, the person takes off, we chase them down, and we take their life in return. That would be vengeance. Let the same scenario unfold, but this time we chase the person down, and when we get them, we tackle the person, hold them down, and demand that we know why they would do such an evil thing. And we call the police, allow the police to come and 
to take that individual, take them before a judge in a court system to stand trial, that would be justice. To have the same scenario transpire and we trace that, uh, chase the individual down, we find them, we get a hold of them and say, listen, I can't believe you would do something like that. You took from me my most precious thing. But I'm going to allow you to go free and go about your life. That would be mercy. And yet what God did to you and I was none of those three. What Christ did would be the same scenario transpire, but this time we run out and we get a hold of that individual and say, you took from me what I treasured most. Come, come back home. I'm going to give you their spot in my home. I'm going to give you a place, their place at my table. You're going to replace my child, and I'm going to love you in their stead. That's grace. And you and I, because of our sin, we are guilty of nailing Jesus Christ to that tree. Our sin took his life, and yet God said, I willingly give it. Come. Be a joint heir with Jesus. I cannot comprehend that. But I can say thank you, God. I don't understand that amazing grace. I don't understand your love. But God, thank you for loving me. We are joint heirs together with Jesus. That is our spiritual blessing. And lastly, in verse number 13, it says, In whom all in whom ye also trusted the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Lastly, we were sealed. We have the blessing of eternal security. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Our blessing is this, that I know that I am eternally secured. I did nothing to obtain my salvation, neither can I do anything to lose it, because salvation is not of me. My salvation is not in my own hands to control and do with as I will, but my salvation is in Jesus Christ. My name has been written down in the Lamb's book of life through the blood of Jesus Christ, and it is out of my hands. I have been saved and I have been sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. What a blessing that we have. That I can know, the Bible says, that we have eternal life. What a blessing. I would hate to know and hate to live and go through life worried that with every mistake I make, I'm dangling over the edge of hell, hoping I can repent before it's too late. I'm glad God didn't leave me that way. 
He said, these things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. This evening I stand before you 100% sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm not worried about hell at all. You say, well, you're the preacher, that's why. It has nothing to do, I assure you, with me being the preacher. Well, you're a good person. It has nothing to do whatsoever with me being a good person. I stand before you and can make that claim because my name has been written down in the Lamb's book of life. Because Jesus said, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My safety, my security, and my assurance is in Jesus Christ and him alone. And what a blessing it is to know that. Amen. Thank the Lord. These are just a few blessings that we have as Christians that we can hold on to. You want the world to come to Christ? You want your family to know and appreciate Jesus Christ the way you do? Why don't we start living like we're blessed, above the rest? They're ble- they can be blessed too if they can come to Christ. Why don't we share the joy of our salvation? And we get our hearts right with God. We begin to love him the way we're supposed to. Where there's smoke, there's fire, and people love to come watch a good fire burn. If we can get a fire burning in our heart for Jesus Christ, they're going to come see what all the flames are about. Let's get excited about Jesus Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in prayer. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. God, I pray that, um, Lord, as you have richly blessed us, Lord, may we never feel like we've been abandoned or let down or let go, left alone by you. But God, may we bask in, the, in, in your presence. Lord, and recognize the wonderful blessings that you've given to us. Lord, we thank you in Christ's name I pray.